From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Stephanie Matheson Avales, also known as Fine Frog Stitching, is one of the most dynamic cross stitch designers on the scene right now. Although she's only been around for a few years, Steph has a really distinctive style and her use of colour as well as her storytelling is really having an impact on the world of cross-stitch. She's become one of the regulars in X-Stitch magazine now and I'm really glad that I finally got to have a conversation with her and find out all about her. In this second part of our interview, we talk about her favourite social media platforms, we nerd out slightly about coffee, Steph used to be a barista, and then we also have a shared passion for a band that she loves uh, who not a lot of people seem to have heard of, really. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. Steph is a great person. Be sure to check out her links in the show notes and connect with her. If you want somebody who's doing some really cool cross-stitch designs, if you want something a little bit different to stitch, then go and check out her store. You won't regret it. I'll be back next week with another interview with a different needleworker. So thanks for being here. And if you liked this show, it would be fantastic if you could take a moment to just leave a review on your favourite podcasting platform so that people know that I'm for reels. Yes, I said for reels. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next week. Enjoy the show. If I can offer you some supportive commentary, the world of cross-stitch is a big world. You're smashing it. I don't think it matters. You just need to do what you're doing. There are some people who just have to do what they're doing, like Leah Emery is weird and wonderful. She has to do what she's doing and you're in the same boat because people, I mean, it's so good. Like your designs are so good. The colors are so good. The stories are so good. They're such well-conceived ideas. You needn't measure yourself against the other people because there's no point. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, I don't know, a piano player who's really good measuring themselves against a cellist who's really good. You're not the same thing. 
like you're in music, but you're not the same thing, you know? And I feel like for you, concentrating on building your business in the ways, you know, your email lists and those sorts of things and just letting your audience find you and fall in love with you will be enough because, you know, screw the other people, basically. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, and I have been shifting more towards that mindset, thankfully. Mm. My experience making jewelry and really trying to build up that business and educating myself on how to build a business through that Mm. really made me realize it really is a matter of finding the right audience Mm -hmm. versus trying to appeal to everyone. Mm. That's never going to work. And now that I've kind of shifted my thinking, I'm really starting to see that come into practice because, you know, people are more interested in my work than they have been in the past. And I've worried less about appealing to everyone than in the past. So it's been a good revelation. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, because you should never do that to a lady. But I'm going to tell you that I, there's a significant milestone. One of them half century kind of milestones is not far in my future. And while that is a grim thought, (laughs) what's great is that you get to a certain point where you really don't give a shit what other people think anymore. And it's so freeing. I think the older you get, just the more resilient or the less concerned you get. And I'm not trying to talk down to you there. I'm just (laughs) trying to say, when you layer up all these insecurities and stuff, one thing that does just happen is the older you get, the less you care. I think it's a self-defense mechanism because you end up being like droopy and a bit frail. (laughs) And I think if you really cared about that, it would be completely your undoing. Do you know what I mean? But it's just, do you find that there are certain like places Like, I feel like your stuff would be like Reddit would love your kind of work. Are you finding that there are certain areas of the internet that it's the right place for you to be hanging out in? Reddit is is one of my main ones. Mm. Well, the CrossFit subreddit is pretty strict on how much quote unquote self-promotion you can do. Mm -hmm. So I don't post on Reddit as much as I want to, but I do get a pretty good reception there. Instagram has been good for me. Mm -hmm. It has my Instagram has grown like crazy in the past year. And I'm finding more and more people on that platform that are actually interested in my work. Are you Pinteresting much? I think my most... I do not. I have not been Pinteresting. I don't know. I've, the lack of direct feedback kind of just doesn't appeal, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite a different mindset. I think the curious thing about Pinterest, Pinterest is like a search engine, you know. So, like... I will share your work on Pinterest because I want people to know about you. I think it's that place where if people are looking for things, they can find them on there. You're right. It's definitely not a two-way street. And that's where I think it's interesting because Reddit's like the most feedback, isn't it? Instagram's good feedback if you're lucky, whereas actually Pinterest, I just find it's so weird if you put things out there and you sort of forget about them. Like say every time if you did a design, you just stuck up a board with like the six pictures of your design on there. And you can do it like you can do Etsy direct connect to Pinterest or whatever. And you just leave it there. It's almost like sowing a field with some flowers and then kind of going to move into a different town. Because every now and again, the flowers will bloom (laughs) and it'll just kind of happen. It's weird. Like over time, I think like it feels like it's just one of those like vaguely land grab things. I think it's probably worth sticking a few seeds down there. I'm keeping that metaphor going now. (laughs) Bit of gentle hoeing once a season just to make sure there aren't too many weeds. (laughs) No, I just find it kind of, and this is true of all my art, my whole experience as an artist, I find it really unnerving to put things out there and not hear anything back. Mm. I have to share my art that is part of who I am, Mm -hmm. whether it's writing or visual art. 
I've always had felt a very strong need of to share my art and just putting it out there and not not hearing anything back is really like I said unnerving in a way (laughs) do you do a newsletter I do yes that's got to be a good feedback mechanism yes it is even just having people sign up for my newsletter and knowing they're there that's that's really comforting I was talking to someone earlier and we were going through that thing like, you know, my blog, Mr. X, has been going since 2008. And for about five years, I was convinced it was just my mum reading it. It's quite, (laughs) it takes so long to get that little imposter voice out of your head. Just going, no, people, this is a genuine thing, you know. So that's why I love newsletters. I would imagine your (laughs) newsletter is great. I need to sign up to make the no connection to tell you the truth. Well, I have my newsletter, which is slightly more on the promotional side of things, my email list but i also have a patreon which is where i really post like blog posts and more like insight into my actual process and and kind of what i'm working on Mm. how's that working out for you it's been great best decision ever honestly because that's a great way to get feedback from people who you know they care because they're paying you paying to subscribe and people don't just throw money at you all willy-nilly if they don't believe in you Mm. so that has been a really fun experience and just getting to interact with the people who really care has been so rewarding that thousand true fans thing kevin kelly wired magazine i think it was however i think two bits of wisdom like that kind of stuck with me one is yeah you only need a thousand true fans don't you because if you can get a thousand people to spend a hundred pound a year then that's hundred thousand pounds jobs good and then i also did this thing i bought this tony robbins book once and it had this sort of calculator thing where you could work out how much money you really needed for the life that you wanted you know, to be able to have a couple of holidays and this and that and the other. And it was something like I worked out at the time that like, I I didn't have any kids, so it's probably gone about threefold now, but I only maybe needed like a pot of like 800,000 pounds or something. Now, although that's still a lot of money, when you suddenly go, I don't need to be a millionaire, when you can suddenly reframe your goals to something that's a lot closer, it's a lot more comfortable because you actually think that it's achievable. So you've got those, the combination of those two things. I think that's where Patreon if you can put in the time and effort, and I'm a bit rubbish at it, to tell you the truth. But again, yeah, it's a really rewarding place because there's this other thing of like the 80-20 rule that says that 20% of people probably make up 80% of your income. And actually, 20% of those people will make up 80% of like the extra, you know, you can like, you can narrow it down. So you might end up with like yeah. 20 fans who gladly throw 500 quid a month at you because they can, because it's no, no bother <laughs> to them or whatever. And suddenly you live in the dream. Yeah. 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 Like I said, Patreon has been a fantastic decision. I just started it in March. Right. And it's also been a great way to force myself to schedule out my time mm. and force myself into a design schedule Mm. because I do release an exclusive design every month and that has to get done. Mm. So before this, I was kind of just floating around making designs when I felt like it, but I work really well in constraints. Mm. So adding a design schedule to my workflow has actually been really beneficial. Has it improved your throughput? Has your, I did it when I was 40. I did a, 52 challenge where I did a pattern a week and it slayed me I know I think at first I was like (laughs) when I first thought about it I was going to do a 365 challenge and two days later I was like no this is a 52 challenge 100% there's no (laughs) chance because of life getting in the way but even that was hard because you know I ended up recycling a lot of patterns that I'd already made but I mean a monthly schedule so that's 12 patterns you're guaranteed to do do you find that that actually 
because you can't dawdle about perfection when you've got deadlines anyway, can you? You have to go, mm-hmm. that's good enough. But are you finding that's impacting on your general design practice? Like, do you find your design speeds are picking up because of that just as an average? I think it's more about focus. I just, I feel much more focused. I don't have time to dilly-dally, which for me, the whole dilly-dallying thing isn't beneficial to my design process. It just hinders me. Mm -hmm. And just removing that from the equation has been really valuable, I think. Because like you said, I don't have time to be thinking about making something perfect. I don't have time for artistic paralysis. Mm. You know, I have to get this stitched and released. Mm. Do you stitch your own stuff? For the most part. I do have a couple test stitchers that have been with me for years since the beginning, pretty much. And they are wonderful. I love them. I couldn't do this without them. It's the best thing. <laughs> because crust is just thing, so time they? consuming. I mean, you know. Mm. Yeah. I do try to, I'm always stitching something, but I produce so much that it's hard for me to stitch everything. Are you ever stitching something that you haven't made now? No. <laughs> I haven't stitched someone else's designs in a couple years i was gonna say probably when you look back you go in fact i only ever did that three times and then the force of cross stitch (laughs) impacted me i mean (laughs) yeah once i started making patterns it just kind of all Mm. you know kind of i got sucked into it i mean it it kind of reminds me of me you know like i remember like sitting in canada when i'd bought this kit for the first time and getting out and being a bit confused by it but sort of you know and within about an hour just being like this is very pleasant inside me somehow, which isn't a phrase that you say very often. But do you know what I mean? Like suddenly you feel it. And I can remember lying on a beach once doing some stitching in like 2007 and just being like, God, I flipping love this. You know, to find something that's almost like irresistible. Yeah. I mean, I did it once and I was hooked. I never cross-stitched prior to 2019, like at all. I had never even really thought about it. Like it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I just randomly decided to do it one night and I got hooked. My first pattern was a little seahorse. I still actually have it. I have that piece. A tiny little thing, but like I got hooked. It was because I had always loved pixel art and this was adjacent to that. So can you remember when the penny dropped when suddenly you went, hang on a minute, I can make my own pattern. Because presumably that was about five minutes after you did it, wasn't it? (laughs) No, 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 actually. It it took a couple months. And the rest. No, that was in January. I very specifically remember the first designing my first ever pattern because I did it in Photoshop, mm-hmm. which was a nightmare mm. <laughs> because I had to import like a DMC palette and it, it, it was just horrible. But and I didn't know anything about the colors. So, you know, I, I just kind of threw some things together and hoped for the best. That was in January of 2020. We had just moved to Wisconsin. I... We were in a temporary apartment. I very specifically remember designing and stitching that pattern. It was a little potion bottle. Um, <laughs> she came out. She knew. She knew. There was no like, I'll do some flowers. You went, no, this is pagan. No. <laughs> this is funny. This is dark. You'll better deal with it. Yeah. I mean, that was the impetus behind me starting designing in general. I wanted to design things that I wanted to stitch. I think that's probably the case for a lot of designers out there. Is that the same with the jewelry business as well? Yes, very much so. Because you see, I designed earrings that I wanted to wear. Because mm. I was thinking, like, in some ways, what's quite good now is that once you've made a pattern 
digitally that pattern's there forever and you don't have to make it again which is a massive improvement on the jewelry business but at the same time the process of creation for both is still quite slow and deliberate right yes i mean earrings was felt a lot more intensive how did you become a jewelry designer in the first place so i started working at a coffee shop in 2021 right i managed a coffee shop for a while for a local roaster here in milwaukee and I had been a barista before, like coffee is one of my big passions aside from cross-stitch. Mm. But working in a food industry, I had to have my hair up, which I hate having my hair up. It's just a probably just a sensory thing, I think. And to make myself feel better about having to have my hair up, I was like, you know what? I'm going to wear cute dangly earrings to make myself just feel better about the whole situation and feel like I look a little better. But it was incredibly difficult to find earrings that both fit my style and that I could wear because my ears are extremely sensitive. Okay. I can only wear specific metals. So that just one thing led to another and I ended up saying, you know, screw it. I need to make my own because I'm not going to find anything out there that suits my needs. <laughs> and the same with cross stitch patterns. I did want to ask you, I was aware that you were a barista and I like a good cup of coffee, but I've never been a barista. <laughs> I'm a, an AeroPress girl. So that makes me pretty happy. I don't know how you feel about AeroPresses. I've never actually used one, you know, mostly just an espresso kind of person. I have my own little espresso machine, a little Breville machine that we got for our wedding. And I love that thing. <laughs> Is that your, I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite type of coffee personally to drink? And do you have a favorite type of coffee to make? Like, are there certain ones that are quite nice to make that you wouldn't necessarily drink? Yeah. Well, I drink lattes, kind of a basic person in that way. Mm -hmm. I like a good vanilla latte. I mean, yeah, if it's well done. So if you go around to your friend's house and they offer you a cup mm -hmm. of coffee, can you see the nerves in their eyes because they're like, oh God, I'm making Steph a cup of coffee? Actually, yes, I, I've had that experience. <laughs> but I'm not, you know, when I go to someone else's house, I'm not judgy at all about their coffee because I know people aren't always knowledgeable and that's totally fine i mean i even enjoy starbucks every once in a while <laughs> blasphemy blasphemy no i know i know my former barista colleagues would probably be appalled at me saying that i've had to sort of politely refuse instant coffee because I don't, I don't think do you guys i guess you do have instant over there don't you but it feels like it's not so much well thing, i don't know i don't know if it's that much of a thing here in the states but it is in mexico for sure a hundred percent like I grew up with my parents and my grandmother drinking instant coffee in Mexico. Mm. So, yeah, if I on the odd occasion, because we've got a jar of instant decaf and sometimes when I'm a bit twitchy because I've had like three coffees, but I'd really like another cup of coffee, then I do that. But I kind of have to put like two and a half spoons in to get it remotely feeling. And it's a feeling <laughs> thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like you want the oils and stuff. don't you? And then we have got a cold brew machine, which is currently in a box on a shelf, because what we learned was that that stuff will kill you. If you have like, because it's so strong, isn't it? Like me and Mary would be it like, is. we'd make some and have a cup in the morning and then the kids would do something slight and we'd be like, bah! <laughs> just like, Whoa! and then get like walking to school going, why am I still upset by this? Not really. And I've got like 15 times the caffeine in my system. Or <laughs> well, the thing is, depending on how you brew it, a lot of times it's supposed to be a concentrate. Mm. so you're supposed to water it down yeah yeah yeah. well yeah i mean 100 percent, we would do that but still just like the so what we ended up doing was i would get decaf cold brew which was like 
you got all the flavour, which was the really nice bit of it, but without like the incessant headaches and irritability. <laughs> but I mean, it was. I'm so desensitized to caffeine at this point. It's not even funny. <laughs> I tell you, it's bad. It's like I'm starting to feel like I always thought I was tough. I was like, I'll just have a cup of coffee before I go to bed. I can handle all that. But now, like, <laughs> if I have a third cup of coffee, because I have an AeroPress, and the AeroPress is nice, and I kind of have this invert method. So you kind of like put the coffee and pour it. And because I think the science of it is more like you push the water through the as you do with a machine you know you push the water through the beans as opposed to a cafetiere where you push the beans through the water so it, it always for me it's just a quick solution i've used one for years i've even got one in my mother-in-law's house as a backup now but if i have a third one of those of a day now i'm just a bit like bah, bah, kind of <laughs> jumping around a little bit feeling a bit stressed about life and i don't know why but now i'm starting to realize <laughs> So I almost have to like go and have a peppermint tea every other drink now or something to like mellow it out. So. Yeah, I do know how that goes <laughs> if I have. But I do get to the point where I can have one too many. <laughs> the good news, Steph, is that the older you get, as I was saying, you care less about what people think, but also you can't hand your coffee anymore. It's bad news. I'm going to now <laughs> pivot onto the important questions that... And sometimes I'm like, I'm sure I've sent these in advance, but even with you, I'm like, I'm sure I haven't sent these in advance, but you've listened to the show. So we'll go with it anyway. Yes. Do you have a favorite band? Muse. Oh, do you know what? I mean, I've got notes about that. I was going to say, do you know, favorite band Muse, because I know you've seen them in concert. I've seen them three times. Yes. Latest time was in February. Yeah, that's where you have to see them, right? To me, I'm not a massive Muse fan, but what I know is they are anthemic and they are like, oh, in a live environment, right? Yeah, it was fantastic. All three times have been phenomenal. Yeah, I just can't get enough of them. Do the hairs on your arms get tired from like standing up for an hour? <laughs> yeah, no, I remember my first Muse concert back in 2014. Right. That was the first time I ever saw them. And the next day, my neck hurt from headbanging because, holy crap, that was an amazing concert. <laughs> That's so good. I've been a Muse fan since about 2010. Mm. It's funny because they're like, they're a, like a global band. But here in the UK, like they're not as massive as you might expect. You know, I think there's a few bands that go like that. It's almost like they're bigger in the rest of the world. Now. I think a lot of people like them. Maybe I'm not aware because I'm not a massive fan of them. But like... I think the rest of the world, they're almost like U2 kind of levels, aren't they? Like they can fill big stadiums with their sound and that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The Chicago show I went to in February, that was pretty much packed. It was a big stadium. Is there the one Muse album to rule them all? Oh, you know, okay. I've been thinking about this all week. I've been thinking about what to say. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not an albums kind of person. I'm more of a playlists and songs kind of person. Okay. But... I think if I had to pick a Muse album, it would be Absolution, right? which was one of their earlier albums and is actually turning 20 years old, I believe, today. Wow. Happy birthday. Yeah, ironically. But yeah, I think Absolution is probably the, my favorite as a whole. I have soft spots for others. Mm -hmm. It's the good classic Muse album. Do you listen to music when you're working? Depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing like book work or bookkeeping or just computer work, I do. Sometimes I have ADHD, so like sometimes sound is a little too stimulating for me and I need silence. But if I really need to get things done, I do put on some kind of upbeat music. Mm. I wondered whether you have different types of music. Like, for instance, if you're creating your saintly characters where the muse might not be the right fit, you might need something that's a bit more 
relaxed? No, I actually, I, I listen to whatever, whenever. Mm. It doesn't have to be appropriate for the piece or for the work. Okay. I've also been on an Odessa kick, which oh, is like man. electronic. I love yeah. those guys. I just saw them in, in June. Oh, well, did they do all the stuff with drones? They do that now, don't they? I don't know if they had drones, but they did have like the huge projector and, and it, it was just an insane show. It was really good. Yeah, I can't believe that more people don't really know about them. Right. And prior to the show, my husband had been into them for a little bit, but I had barely listened to them. And after the show, I was like, you know what? This is one of my new musical obsessions. Let's go. Yeah, I can completely agree. I heard the last goodbye on a, a, there's a guy called Nerd Show who does shows on Soma FM. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's like a user supported. I can listen to it on my telly, but they have loads of different channels. And he does one called Defcon, which is kind of electronically. They've got loads of different channels, though, like reggae, world music, jazz. They've recently released one that's like 1960s, 70s psych kind of music. Like it's really interesting channels. And this guy on Mixcloud, he goes by Nerd Show and just plays that kind of music. I listen to his show every week. It's really good. And yeah, The Last Goodbye was the first song I'd ever heard. And then I was just like, Ugh. do you know that you know the one I mean, right? And then when it like kicked in, I was just like, what in the hell is this? And then I went and listened to it on YouTube. <laughs> and then I was like, right, I'm just getting all the albums. And I, I put them on in the car and I deafened my children just with that song in particular, because it's like such like classic soul. I really like songs that have mm -hmm. got like a vibration in them, you know, like whether it's like really loud, like LA rock sound, that's like kind of too much feedback or whatever but you know what i mean their yeah. music's kind of the same it's a bit twangy or something yeah it has like reverberating kind of yeah resonance yeah. yeah really floats my boats and if i need to be plugged into a good mood now i'll put one of their albums on for sure great choice great choice <laughs> right favorite book i'm gonna posit theory that says that one of your favorite authors is definitely neil gaiman how did you know i know i know <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, you're spot on. I don't read nearly as much as I used to, but Neil Gaiman is someone I've enjoyed pretty much everything I've read by Neil Gaiman. Do you still read graphic novels or do you tend to go just for books? Usually just books. But again, I it's very rare for me to read nowadays. I just, I find it a little frustrating because ADHD and whatnot. But yeah, I don't do the graphic novels as much. I definitely don't read nonfiction a whole lot. I stick to fiction yeah, yeah. i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna offer a suggestion if i may which is if you want something for christmas graphic novel supergirl written by tom king dc tom king is like my favorite graphic novel writer for the past year and a half or whatever just because of the way he writes things he did a he's done one series for marvel he did these graphic novels about the vision you know like the android who can like walk through walls you know him yeah but it was like a domestic tale of like the vision, his wife and his kids. And it's like tragic and brilliant all at the same time. And Tom always does these stories. So like my daughter, Flora, is six. And she and I, I read the Supergirl graphic novel to her. She now understands what genocide is, which is a bit of a heavy topic for a six-year-old. But at the same time, <laughs> it just proves that Supergirl is an absolute legend. Like she, it reframes her from being like, oh, I'm the cousin of Superman. I've got the same powers as Superman to just being a woman who is unbelievable as an icon. And it's great storytelling and the artwork's absolutely brilliant. So if you ever get a chance to dive into it, if you feel it, that's my recommendation because yeah. it's gangbusters no. brilliant. I will totally check it out. I was so like, I was so chuffed to read it to my daughter because I've collected comics since I was like nine or something. 
off and on. And I just wished that someone had gone, you need to read this. Because for her now, Supergirl's her favorite superhero by a mile because she understands that Supergirl's <laughs> a freaking legend. So, for instance, the first story, someone, because it's, it's not about her, it's about someone that she helps. But when she first meets Supergirl, Supergirl's celebrating her birthday and has gone to a planet that doesn't have a yellow sun because she just wants to get drunk because she can't get drunk <laughs> on Earth because she's Supergirl. Do you know what I mean? So there's just all these clever reframings and stuff. So good. Completely recommend that. Right. Favorite film? Amadeus. Ah. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar. Mm. It's basically it's a movie about Mozart. It's quite old now, isn't it? Like 20 it's years very old, old or something? Yes. Yeah. Uh, more than that. Hmm. A lot more than that. It's from the, I want to say it was produced in the early 80s. Because if Rock Me Amadeus was around the same time that it came out, right? Is that right? Or am I making that up? I don't know. I wasn't around when it came out. God damn it, um, <laughs> you're too young. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I really enjoy Amadeus. It's about Mozart and his counterpart Salieri. And it's, it's a drama. It's not like a biopic or anything. It's based on a play. And I just love the dark undertones in it. And the fact that the soundtrack is all completely, well, almost all Mozart music. It's all classical music. And I just find it to be a really intriguing story and a really crazy, well done production. Because you cannot tell it's, you know, 30 odd years old. Have you watched it recently? I think it's been like a year and a half or so. Okay. I've, we've been meaning to rewatch it. Right. That's a great choice. Okay. And then finally, one interesting fact that nobody knows about you. Hmm. Um, (laughs) No pressure. This one I didn't give any thought to. (laughs) Oh, that's good. (laughs) Just drop that one on you then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've, you know, in college, I would have said to this icebreaker question, I would, I would have answered, you know, nobody knows that Spanish is my first language. I have made that a little more public on social media since then. But yeah, Spanish is my first language. Yeah. And that, I was actually going to ask you about your surname as well, because I guess the Spanish is in there, right? Yes. My, the Matheson part is my dad. He's American. My family fairly recently came over from like Germany and Lithuania. So that's that. And Aviles is my mom's side. That's just our family name on, on my mom's side. So. Do you feel, do you have like, I don't know, I'm sort of making the wrong conclusions here, but do you feel like Mexican? Have you got like, do you go, oh, I'm being a bit Mexican just now or anything? Does that ever happen? My identity has been a complicated issue for me for my whole life. Um, (laughs) But I do, I mean, on a very basic level, I am a dual citizen. I'm a Mexican citizen. So, I mean, I am Mexican in that way. I was raised in a Mexican household, basically. Until recently, I had never even met most of my American family. Right. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say I'm Mexican. Yeah. And But that, because of how I look, if you didn't know, you would just say I'm white. And that has always been a weird thing to have to deal with when explaining my identity. And you're sort of, you're like Angela Lansbury, but instead of being American English, you're like American Mexican. Where it's like when you're in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would your mum talk to you in English unless she was telling you off, in which case you get told off in Spanish? She actually doesn't speak English. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. My dad speaks Spanish. Okay, that's cool. And how do you say fine frog stitching in Spanish? Oof, that... I don't know if that translates. (laughs) 
fine isn't really a word. Um, <laughs> That's the Spanish mark is out the window then. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's amazing. Because I'm always fascinated as well by the way that whenever we learn another language, people always want to teach us to swear words first. <laughs> you know, my parents were very strict and, you know, kind of, I don't know the word. They, they were just, they never taught me the swear words, I guess. Hmm. That's called being good parents. I'm not going to say that I've got a video where my four-year-old taught me to put my effing slippers on, but that might be the case. <laughs> so, you know, your parents are good parents. <laughs> so my cursing abilities in Spanish are limited. It's very yeah. honourable. It's very honourable. <laughs> if people would like to find out all about you, where would they go? Finefrogstitching.com Sign up for the newsletter. Yeah. Also, like I said, Patreon, patreon.com slash finefrogstitching and Instagram at finefrogstitching. Links in the show notes to all of that. Go and support Steph on the Patreon and do be amazed at her design skills. I just, I'm excited because, you know, without wishing to sound disrespectful, you are still pretty new to the scene. So, oh my God, when you've got another Mm -hmm. decade in the business, I can't wait to see the magnum opus of it all. It's going to be so good. Um, Steph, thanks for having a needle exchange with me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me on another Needle Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange. That's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange with any thoughts, comments or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange. See you next time.